Today we are going to talk about truth and the church's relationship to truth. The church, of course, being each individual person. You are the church. As you are a believer and as you are gathered today, you are the church. And in being so, you are to be the pillar and the foundation of truth. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about truth. And I want to remind you of some of the very familiar things that the Bible says about truth because these are foundational. And I want us to be reminded of them. I I draw your attention to a verse like John 14 and verse 6. In this passage, as you might recall, Jesus is preparing his followers for his departure. He was going to die. And from a human perspective, this was going to be an untimely death. Jesus was was not an old man, as you know. He didn't live a long and full life, as you know. And so he gave his life freely for our sins on the cross, and he's trying to prepare his followers for that departure. And he makes a profound statement about truth as he does so in verse 6 of John 14, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, I am the truth. And in so doing, he is making a statement that he, as a part of the Godhead, Jesus, the Son of God, is part of the Trinity, as we call it. He's part of the Godhead. And he is, in essence, saying, as he makes this statement, being God, that God is truth. The very character and nature of God is truth. And all truth is to be judged by God's standard. We don't get to make the rules. We don't get to decide what truth is. How many of us in recent day have heard something like this uh, when when people are telling a story or trying to make a point or or maybe even giving a review of facts or, or events that have happened? Well, that is their truth, or that is your truth, right? You've probably heard that in recent days. They get to tell their truth. And, and uh, if, you're, if you contradict them, then it's not really a contradiction. It's just your truth as opposed to their truth. Well, when we read the scriptures, I and mean, when we're talking about salvation, and we're talking about eternal life, and we're talking about what God has for us and what he doesn't want for us and all the things that God wants us to believe, we're not talking about our truth or your truth. We're talking about the truth as given to us by God. And there isn't any room for variance there. There's no room for, for play. When God speaks to us in his word and he lays out what truth is, it's going to be consistent with his character and nature. It's going to be indisputable, unquestionable, unequivocal. It is truth. And he gives us that in his word. Jesus says, I am the truth, and all truth is going to be judged by the character and nature of God. Nothing else gets to determine that. We know that God has shown us truth in his very essence, but he has also recorded truth for us so that we can read it and study it and live it out. That's what John 17 talks about, doesn't it? In verse number 17, when it says, sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth. 
If you land on something in your life and you want to say that it's truth and you want to live on it and you want to apply it to your life and you want to form a belief system around it, if you can't find it in Scripture, you don't have truth. God's Word is truth. And anything that contradicts God's Word is certainly not truth. It is false. Now that places us in a very interesting situation in the culture in which we live, doesn't it? We are immediately countercultural if we're going to anchor to the truth of Scripture and if we are going to call anything that disagrees with Scripture being false. That puts us in a countercultural mode, but that is exactly where God wants us. Are you comfortable there? Think about it. Are you comfortable there? being counter-cultural. At times, it can be uncomfortable. But we have to be comfortable there. We have to rest there. If we don't, we will compromise everything that is truth. We will want to fit in and be the same and blend in and be accepted. How many churches have compromised truth because they want to be accepted by the masses? They've given on their belief system what they know the Bible clearly teaches. And yet they decide to turn away from that and embrace something that is false, tragic, but true. It's interesting in John chapter 16 that we are given these words about the Holy Spirit. If you can turn there, look at verse 13 of John 16. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He's hearing from the Father, by the way. He's receiving directives from the Father, God the Father. And it's according to that revealed will from the Father that the Spirit speaks and prompts and moves. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. When the Spirit of truth comes... He will guide you into all the truth. Now these disciples are going to wait in Jerusalem until they had received that Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. These people were also then going to be not the authors of, but the writers of Scripture as they received the prompting from the Holy Spirit, that inspiration process that the New Testament clearly defines. And that's what's really being talked about here in in the exact context. These men were going to write Holy Scripture. And the Holy Spirit was going to move them through that process. And he was not going to exalt himself, but he was going to act consistent with the testimony from the Father. Because there is no conflict in the Trinity. So if God is truth, and what he says is truth, then everything that God does of himself, through himself, by Jesus, or through the Spirit, because they're all three in one, they're co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal as the Trinity, then everything they do is going to be consistent with what the Word of God says. None of it will conflict with Scripture. It can't. Otherwise, you cease to have God, and you cease to have a Trinity. So apply that then to today as we talk about truth. How many times does the Holy Spirit get blamed for stuff that he has absolutely nothing to do with? Think about it, right? Oh, the Spirit led me to do this. Really? How does it line up with Scripture? 
Is it consistent with Scripture? Can you show us, can you build a theology of what you're saying the Spirit is leading you to do, or is it in conflict with Scripture? If it's in conflict, the Spirit isn't within 100 miles of that, not even close, because the Spirit of God will never lead you contrary to the Word of God. Why? Because He is the Spirit of truth, which means He'll be consistent with the truth of the Father as found in the words of the Father. Augustine put it this way. He said, because God is absolute truth, I will believe what he says and live accordingly. Where I found truth, there found I my God, who is the truth itself. And when we anchor to that, when we anchor to Scripture and to God being truth, we can say, even if every person turns against that truth, let God be true and every man a liar. That is the language of true faith. Now, as we talk about these things, and we're going to look at the church and how it can be the support and foundation of the truth in just a couple of minutes, I want to give you some practical things. We get into this, it can become very emotional, right? Maybe as I've been talking to you already this morning, you have felt a range of emotions. Maybe you've thought of some things. Maybe you've thought of compromise that you have seen in churches, and it's, it's piqued your emotions a little bit. Maybe you've thought of some things in our culture that, that really excite your emotions because you know that, that we have to take a stand against some of these things that are being done and said and really pushed upon us in our culture. In recent days, some of, the, some of the gender issues and things like that that just seem to come upon us. And we know where we stand on this. I spoke to you recently about it. And we are to be strong in our stand. We can be militant in our stand and dig our heels in and not move. But there is one thing as we look through our time together today in our study that we need to remember. Let's remember this. Love and truth must be maintained in perfect balance. Truth is never to be abandoned in the name of love, but love is not to be deposed in the name of truth. Truth without love has no decency, it's just brutality. On the other hand, love without truth has no character, it's just hypocrisy. So as we talk about the church's place with truth today in our study, I want us to remember that we are called into a world that hates us, that hates Jesus, that hates everything that we stand for, who are, who are really at enmity with God, and we're called into that hostility to love and to share truth. And we must keep the two in balance. If we don't, we will do both a disservice, and we will not be well-pleasing to the Father. Today, I'm going to ask you to join me in, in a few, perhaps even several different passages of Scripture. I hope that you will be able to find them and follow along. I think from time to time, it's good for us to do that instead of just putting them on the screen uh, because we need to remember where these things are in the Bible. So today is going to be an exercise in that for all of us. But I want to go through a few things here today that if the church is going to be the pillar and ground of truth and stand firmly on it, there are five things that we need to do in order to do that well. And number one is, first of all, we must pursue 
truth. In other words, we must know it. You can't stand for something, you can't defend something, you can't propagate something that you don't know. So how well this morning do you know your Bible? How well do you know it? That is where the truth is that we're supposed to know, right here. God shows us truth in his character and nature, but he gives us truth in the living word of God. And if we're going to pursue truth, and if we're going to know truth like God wants us to know it, we must know our Bibles. When's the last time that you spent, that I spent a serious amount of time in this book? I just want you to consider that question with me. I have no idea your personal life, okay? I'm not in your home. I have no idea what you're doing at all. I know what I'm doing. But I want you to wrestle with that question today, and I want you to consider, when have we just dug into this thing and grabbed a hold of it and just spent some, some quality and quantity time just immersing our souls in this truth? This is soap for the soul, by the way. This will cleanse you. This will make you clean. How, how can a young man uh, make clean his ways? By taking heed to the words of God. We need this washing of regeneration, and we need this sanctification every day of our life. So I want you to consider with me, are we pursuing church? You are the church. Are we pursuing truth? Not as a ministry. I don't want you to think about Sunday and Wednesday and all the Bible studies and life groups. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you on an individual basis. You are the church. Are you as individuals pursuing truth? Outside of here, are you pursuing truth? Are you seriously reading and studying and trying to understand and trying to apply Scripture? Would you go over to 2 Timothy with me? 2 Timothy, Paul's, I love all the leadership principles that Paul gives us in 1 and 2 Timothy as he's mentoring uh, Timothy to be a leader in the church at Ephesus. I use these two books as a basis for our leadership development, and they are full of things. And we're going to just look at a one here in 2 Timothy. Go there to chapter 2 with me, and we'll see what Paul is telling Timothy is so critical for him in verse 15. He says, Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one who's approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed. Timothy, how can you be approved? How can you be a worker who's not ashamed? By correctly handling the word of what? Truth. The word of God. The word of truth correctly handling. How do you do that? How do you correctly understand it and correctly teach it and correctly apply it? Well, you have to study it. You have to pursue it. You have to know it. You have to see and experience it for the treasure that it is. Has your time in the Word just become a duty to you that you just kind of make yourself do every morning or afternoon or evening or whenever it is you do it? Is it just part of, the, part of the motions that we go through, or is it meaningful? Emotion or meaningful is a question that we should ask today about our time in the Word. Is it just something we do to be busy, or is it meaningful? I want to draw our attention back to Colossians uh, chapter 3. Could you go there with me too? I love this passage. It's a, it's a passage to the church and it really should define who we are and what we're doing in our pursuit of truth. 
Colossians 3, and let's go down. We could go down to verse 15. It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let me remind you of the beginning of verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Pursue truth together. When you meet together, let that word of Christ, the word of truth, dwell among you richly through the teaching and admonishing one another with all this wisdom. And do that as you spend time together, making sure that your time of worship is focused on and full of Scripture. And what does that produce? I think verse 17 is the result of that. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. If we are coming together, letting the word of Christ, the message of Christ dwell in us and among us richly, it cannot help but to have an effect on us. Now, that has to be intentional, and that leads us to this. We must be practicing the truth. You could say it more simply, we need to practice what we preach, right? If we say we believe something, it should define the way that we live. If we open up the scriptures like we're supposed to be and we are reading it and we're studying it, it should have an effect on our life. And if it's not, then all we are doing is going through a sterile, rigid, intellectual exercise, which is not what God has called us to do. He hasn't called us to get smarter whenever it comes to biblical knowledge. He has called us to get holier. He has called us to be more set apart from the world and unto him. And how can we get there? How can we experience that? Would you go to James chapter 1 with me? Let me remind you of these familiar verses about practicing the truth. I want to begin reading in verse 21. James 1, 21. Therefore, Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Get rid of all moral filth and evil. Did we walk in here with any of that stuff today? I don't know what happened in your life this past week. I have no idea. But did you walk in here with any of that stuff? And maybe you're desperate this morning. You need to hear from God You need his spirit to do a work in your heart because as you came in here today, you brought in some baggage that could be described as moral filth or evil. You were were tainted. You're, You're living in this world system that hates God and has everything in it to pull you away from God and maybe you gave in some this week. I'm sure at any given time, all of us in the room gave in this week. Have you humbly accepted the word? Have you allowed the word to do the work? Have you looked into the mirror? Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Don't just attend this morning and say amen to everything you agree with. Don't just listen to the word. Do what it says. 
Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Men, how many of your wives stopped you before you left the house today? Anybody? Saying, really, are you going like that, right? We looked in the mirror, we forgot, and here we go, right? We're just trying to get to the next thing. Don't let that be with the word of God. Look into that mirror. Don't forget what you have seen. Don't, don't leave it. Don't, don't come to a gathering on a Sunday at 11 o'clock here at Genesis Bible Church and hear a sermon and think that you've checked the spiritual box for the week and then just leave without letting the truth be immersed and, and, and fully infused into your heart and change your life. Don't do that. Do what it says when you leave. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Most recently, I reminded all of us, and I want to do it again, because we get bombarded all the time, don't we, with truth? Today, uh, some here will attend the, the, the morning worship gathering, whether you're at 8.30 or 11. And then many went to Sunday school, and you heard uh, truth in Sunday school after hearing a message in the, in the church gathering here. And then some of you will come back tonight at, at 5.30, and you'll hear another message. We're in Galatians. You'll hear another sermon. Uh, some of you will attend a Bible study on Monday or Tuesday, ladies, when your Bible study is meeting. And then uh, some of you are going to be here Wednesday night again at 6.30. And men, if you go to the men's Bible study on Thursday, you're going to sit through another study. How much of that stuff can we really absorb? Think about it. And, and do we see it as a part of our stewardship? And, and if we're taking in all of this truth and we're hearing all of this truth, are we intentional about letting it change our lives? Do we have a plan? Do we have a plan? I mean, I'll be honest. Somebody asked me on Wednesday of this week, would I preach Sunday? I might have to think about it. <laughs> right? We forget stuff. And if we're not intentional about what we're hearing, and if we don't have a plan for letting it affect us and change us, it is not going to happen accidentally. Can I show you the power of this type of thing? Would you, can I just give you an example? Go over to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is so powerful. We are called to this powerful process whereby God wants to just renovate us from the inside out. It's one of the most exciting processes we could ever be a part of. God's called it to us. It is powerful. And I want to show you an example of the power of this kind of change in 1 Peter chapter 3. Look with me at verse 1. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, look at this power of a changed life, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. Why? Because when they see the purity and the reverence of your life, that's what brings them to God. Think about it. Not even opening your mouth, not even having to say anything, just by practicing truth, letting truth arrest your heart and change your life from the motivation to the action, letting it captivate you and dominate you, that change of life has a powerful effect on other people as well as a transforming effect on you. Practice the truth. 
we're called to this church. And if we're going to be the pillar and foundation of truth, we must practice it. Now, as I read a passage like 1 Peter 3, I must quickly say that we're not all called to silence. Silence in that context, yes, because you don't want to push away an unbelieving husband in that context. But all believers at all times are not called to silence because part of this being the pillar and foundation of truth is that we have to proclaim truth. We do have to talk about it. We do have to speak it. Could I just remind you of the very familiar passage uh, back in, in Matthew's gospel at the very end? Go there to Matthew 28. What are we told there? Jesus comes to them and says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. Teaching them, proclaiming truth. We're not called to silence always. We have to proclaim and notice here the parameters, the boundaries of what we're supposed to be teaching those who believe everything I have commanded you. There is that consistency with the scripture, the consistency with the word of God. Proclaim truth. Find your way to 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2. What does Paul say to Timothy? Another leadership principle in verse 2. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful or reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Proclaiming truth, not just absorbing it yourself, not even just changing yourself, but speaking that truth into the lives of other people who have believed and who will listen and who will grow thereby. Why? Because it sets in motion an unstoppable process whereby many disciples are multiplied for the glory of God and his kingdom. So church, we must be proclaiming the truth. I think the question is simple. I think as we look over the past week, we need to ask ourselves the question, did I speak truth, transformational truth into anyone else's life over the course of the last seven days? Did I do that? Maybe it was an unbeliever. Maybe it was someone who's already believed. But did I relate to truth well this past week? And did I speak it well into the lives of other people for the glory of God and for their good? The next point I want to preface with, with these words because I don't want anyone to misunderstand. As I go to this next point, I'm not out to get anything from you. Okay, I just want you to know that straight up. I'm not out to get anything from you. I included this in the study with, with some hesitation, but I was strongly impressed to do so, and so I did it. The reason is because it emphasizes the priority that God has placed on the, on the church being the pillar and buttress and support of truth, that he understood that in order for it to happen as extensively and as powerfully as it should that certain ones would have to be fully dedicated to that in the church. And in doing so, they would need provision. And so God places such a high priority on the church being the pillar and foundation of truth and staying faithful to that, 
that he knew that there would be people who he would call and dedicate themselves to being teachers of the, of the truth to the church, and they would need provision because they would need to be able to live. And God has allowed for that in Scripture. We see examples of it. Let's, let's go to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians, and we'll see where those who were teaching and speaking the truth were supported and, and financially taken care of so that they could dedicate themselves fully to this ministry. Paul says in Galatians 6.6, 6, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the world should share all good things with their instructor. All good things. Providing support for this one who is doing the teaching because he's dedicated himself to it. Let's go over to 3 John, and we'll look at a few verses there, the third epistle of John, and let's look at verses 5 through 8. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way, these ones who are speaking, in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. Here were ones who were teaching the truth and they were told here, listen, receive them, take care of them, show them hospitality, support them, send them on their way in a manner that honors God, not by withholding things that they need, but by freely giving to them the things that are necessary to support them in this ministry. And what does that do? It creates a strong and profitable partnership that we would work together for the truth. This ministry does that. It takes care of its pastors for sure. It takes care of missionaries around the world, so many of them, and agencies as well. And we are working together for the truth. And it is biblical to do so. Let's go over to one more passage in Philippians chapter 4. Let's turn over there and see Paul talking about the support that he received because it was absolutely necessary for his ministry. Philippians chapter 4 Look at verse 15 with me. Moreover, as you Philippians know that in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the manner of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, but I desire that, that more would be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Again, you take care of us very well, for sure, and you are to be commended for that. I want nothing from you. The point that I'm making here is... This is the priority that God places on the church being the pillar and foundation of truth where he wants people, he's calling people out to be fully dedicated to teaching and enriching the church with truth. And he says the church is to provide for them so that they can do it in a, in a way of dedication and consistency and effectiveness. That's the priority that God places on this. It is something that he takes care of fully, isn't it? Finally, as we bring our study to a close, 
Let me just talk to you about this, protecting the truth. We are to protect the truth. Now, let me say this to you. Truth is not going to cease to exist if we fail. Do we all understand that? Truth doesn't depend on us, but God calls us into the fray. He calls us into the war for earnestly fighting for, contending for, standing for the truth. Jude writes about this in his short letter, doesn't he? When he says to us that he wanted, verse 3, he in fact was very eager to write to you about the salvation that we share. That's a pretty easy thing to write about. That's a fun thing to write about. But he says, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith, the whole body of truth that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Why? Here's another warning. We've already read a few in our verses today. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. There are false teachers among you. They've secretly slipped in. They're subtle servants of Satan. And they're working for your destruction. And I'm going to tell you to call them out. I'm going to tell you to earnestly fight for, contend for, strive for, go to the mat for the faith. Protect it at all costs. Lay your life down for it if necessary, not because it depends on you, but because that is what glorifies God. And that is a life that is worthy of the gospel. Let me close with this. Would you find your way to 2 Timothy chapter 4? 2 Timothy chapter 4, and, and then we'll be finished today. Thank you for your patience and looking at all these verses with me today. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says to Timothy again another lesson on leadership. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. That's a mouthful already, isn't it? Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Why? Here is a similar exhortation followed by a similar warning. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Now, I think all of us would agree that the times that he is describing here are very similar to where we're living today. Churches have compromised the truth. You have churches embracing all kinds of things today that are anti-God and anti-biblical and anti-Christian, all in the name of Christianity, who will do a service today and call themselves Christians when they have denied the very essence of the gospel and, and sunk deep in the mire and destruction of liberalism. You have churches that have exchanged other things in, in the war of truth 
because they're afraid to stand true and be found faithful for fear of the cost. And so we're called, church, to be the pillar and the foundation. In fact, we're declared to be such, whether we live up to it or not. It is our responsibility. And so the question is, are we going to do it, right? Is it going to be worth the cost to us? And I think we're all silly this morning if we think that that cost isn't coming. It's already manifesting itself in certain ways. But it's coming. It's coming harder. It's coming faster. It's coming perhaps much more deeply than we've ever known before. And if people can't hear the truth from the church, where will they hear the truth? We have to be the mouthpieces of this truth. It doesn't matter how unpopular it makes you at work or at home or even in your church. If you attend a church that's compromised the truth, it's time to get out. It's time to get out. God has called us to faithfulness, and we must be faithful. Now, don't forget. Don't forget. I want to I close with this quote, if you'll allow me to return. Love and truth must be maintained in perfect balance. Truth is never to be abandoned in the name of love, but love is not to be deposed in the name of truth. Truth without love has no decency. It's just brutality. On the other hand, love without truth has no character. It's just hypocrisy. May God give us grace to stand for truth. Let's pray together. Father, as we bring our service to a close, we pray for your spirit to do his work in us and through us. God, help us to remember what we've heard today and apply it. May it not just be another sermon, but may it be life transforming for your glory. In the strong and powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.